Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. It is almost as if we are all actors greeting each other. Communicating through our bodies. With the thoughts and feelings we create in our minds. Seeing things in this way I feel a desire to only have those thoughts and feelings which help me to feel better about myself. For I know that these feelings are like energy. It reaches out and touches those around me. that can create a pleasant, peaceful environment in which I live. And which I share with others around me.
peaceful, happy feelings. Bring tranquility and enjoyment in my life. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. What a beautiful way to start our time together, being that space of tranquility. And I don't know about you, but I find myself really understanding deeper and deeper how valuable tranquility is when I lose it. (laughs) Like when it just goes out the door because you're holding an interpretation of something someone said, something someone did maybe something someone didn't do that they should have done. And it's incredible to me how the thought factor in the soul just hold a memory, hold an experience, hold an interpretation. And despite the fact that it's draining and taking away your tranquility, your peace, your power, your love, you still do it until you hear a word of wisdom, until you have a sacred moment, an aha moment, until someone turns to you with a smile just out of nowhere. And it touches the deepest part of you. But there are just times you just want to get away from that thought. You just don't know how. And you could live your whole life hanging on to that one thought and wanting everything to just get away from it, to separate from it. And you can't. But sometimes sharing your story becomes a catalyst in helping you to do that. My special guest today, Marilyn Peterson Haas, spent her childhood playing with her twin brother on their farm in western Minnesota. She learned to read and write in a one-room school that in the midst of a sea of corn and oats. To go to junior high school, she rode a rickety yellow school bus seven miles to the nearest town. Just when Marilyn thought she had escaped life as the child of a born-again farmers of Minnesota Plains, her twin brother's manic violence catapults her back to the fissures of her childhood. Marilyn's own journey took her in the opposite direction. And after attending Oxygen, Minneapolis, she and her husband moved east, settled in western Massachusetts, where she raised three children, earned an MBA, and launched a successful business career. Her new book is entitled Half a Whole, My Fight for a Separate Life. Marilyn, welcome to America Meditating Radio. Thank you, Sister Jenna. I'm delighted to be on your show. Yes, it's been an interesting journey. And it continues. That's the best part, huh? Yes, it is. You captured in your memoir, Half of a Whole, My Fight for a Separate Life. You share the haunting chronicle of your twin brother's encroaching mental illness and your mom's favoritism, which was quite obvious, your family's religious zealotry, and your battle to break free from a painful past. Why was it important, Marilyn? that you felt you had to tell this story to the world? It was such a powerful event in my life. As you mentioned, my twin brother had a psychotic breakdown when we were visiting at my mother's condominium for a holiday, and I was the one who had to call police to have him taken to the mental hospital, or to the psychiatric ward, I should say, in the local hospital. And that was such a powerful event for me. His breakdown was very obvious. 
It was traumatic. It was loud. It was frightening. And once he was in the hospital and safe, I went back to the East Coast where we live in Western Massachusetts. But it triggered within me another a breakdown of my own. But my breakdown was quiet. And I ended up going in therapy. And there in the safety and security of that office, I kind of, my life, I sort of had to untangle all of the things that had happened in my life and then put them back together again. And my therapist helped me open up that ocean of grief I had over my brother, my sorrow over his sadness, over the those bonds we had had as we were growing up, and I felt as though we had lost them. So that to me was a huge changing event in my life. And then it set me off on a journey a journey to try to understand the past, a journey to come to grip with the things I could control and the things I couldn't control in my life. And I felt compelled to put this story down on the page so I could share it with others. Now, you know, sometimes with twins, there's such a deep-rooted psychic, emotional, chemical, everything sort of attachment to one another. When your brother went through that break, was this something that really tapped into your own image of yourself and who you thought you were, the way that you saw yourself? And what was it that you had discovered? Well, I discovered that I had this image of myself as being a totally good person. I had sort of this facade of being, I don't know, a person all dressed in white. And what happened was in the course of three and a half years of therapy, I had to look at myself and recognize that I myself carried within me the capacity to be bad as well as to be good. In the religious background that I was raised in, we looked upon things in sort of black and white. It was you were either a born-again Christian who was going to live forever in heaven or you were not and you would live forever in hell. And it was a very rigid view of the world. And so I think I had a rigid view of myself, either good or you were bad. And there were really no shades of gray in between. And so one of the things, as my therapist said, I was unprepared to live in the modern world with that kind of a viewpoint of how things should be or shouldn't be. And so one of the main things that happened for me was to see myself as a real person who everyone contained good, capacity for evil. So my whole concept of who I was changed in the course of those three and a half years and then continued as I continued the work on my own as I went forward. I had to really adjust my self-assessment of who I really was. Incredible how deeply linked we are to each other, whether you are a twin or not. You know, but I feel like those connections where the twinship happens, the bond requires so much more to break through. How do you think is the relationship between twins different from just having siblings? I mean, particularly when mental illness is involved. I think there is a unique relationship between twins. For one thing, you're wrapped around each other in that uterus meant for one. And we spent all our time together when we were young. And one of the interesting anecdotal stories my mother used to tell was when my twin refused to take a cough syrup, I opened my mouth and took the syrup for him because... I thought it would make him well. And I think there are very close bonds between twins. And one of the risks there is is that when it comes time to what they call individuate, to establish your own self-boundary, a twin tends to take their twin into their own self-boundary. 
which is what happened for me. And my twin was as if he were an extension of myself. And of course, that makes his breakdown feel for me as though a part of me had broken down. And in fact, part of me had broken down. I ended up in therapy. And it also puts a strain on your relationship. If you feel a person is an extension of yourself, then you feel as though they should reflect your thoughts, your ideas, your values. And of course, they are a spirit person, so it can't happen. So extended that uh, value kind of to other close relationships I had. I think twins do face a particular challenge in establishing themselves as individuals without including the twin within their own identity. In your book, you explore a lot of your family history, as well as the history of the land where you grew up. How do you think trauma and loss suffered in previous generations can affect people today? That's a very interesting concept, and I think it's true. I tell the story in my book about my grandfather who lost three siblings and his mother before he was seven years old when they immigrated to this country, and then he lost his two half-sisters, yet he never spoke of it. But even though he never spoke of it, he passed on his to my mother kind of a terror of death, her children. Now, I think, you know, all mothers worry about the health of their children. But in this particular case, any time I got ill, I reminded him so much of one of his half-sisters. He really loved his worry it seemingly transferred to my mother's. Anytime I was sick, she was terrified I was going to die. Now, that's just one small example. You know, it can take generations for trauma to work out. I mean, that was always very clear to me to see how the traumas of generations do vibrationally just sink into your consciousness, and you just pick it up without even knowing you are, mm-hmm. even if your environment doesn't even have it. The remnants of it still travels with you in some way or the other. Your parents, your mother in particular, showed a lot of favoritism between you and your twin brother, but your brother always had to come first and was treated very differently from you. Do you think that was an interpretation in your head, or was it really, really true that he was really treated much better? And how did that affect your relationship with your twin, and and how did it affect the way you felt about your mother and as an adult, even about your own self? Well, 15 minutes after I was born, the doctor held up my twin brother and said, ah, I have to tell Winston, our father, he finally has son he wanted. When much later in life, I read in the baby books mother had made for us that she kept me in a walker for three months after I could walk across a room so that I wouldn't walk before my twin. And that astounded me that she would actually hold me back like that. But when I read that, I realized that what I had sensed and what I had Uh, not understood, uh, had really started happening so early in our lives. He was to be the firstborn son. That was very important culturally. It was very important from a biblical point of view. He was to be the successful one. He was to be the one who would be the leader in the family. He was the one to take over the farm. And my father's expectations were all of those because my dad had been all of those. So that was the son he wanted. So my mother took upon herself obligation or the duty to make son into the son he wanted. Of course, my twin didn't want to take over the farm. He didn't want to be the leader of the family. So it was an expectation that didn't work for him and didn't work for me. But my mother kept trying to make him into that son, and she did that 
while doing that, she looked upon anything I accomplished or any of my successes as somehow diminishing him, that somehow I was taking away from him that rightfully belonged to him. I kept working to get her love, her approval, but she either couldn't or wouldn't, wasn't able to give me what I was looking to from her. And this continued on throughout the time that she was alive. And when I established my career, diminished everything I did. She criticized me and how I raised my children. It was my sister, sort of the truth teller in the family. And she finally told me, she said, you know, Marilyn, nothing you have ever done is right. Uh, Nothing you can do is right. And she kind of confirmed for me what had been something I had sensed but not known. I mean, it's amazing how long you can deny something that you don't want to know. But finally, 10 years after I finished therapy, my therapist could never break through the protective wall I had built between my mother and me. He said it was too deep, too painful. And it took me another 15 years before I actually got to the point where I confronted my mother. My reservoir of rage finally burst forth and I confronted her. And we had a series of exchanges via letter because that was the only way she would communicate directly. She wouldn't say what she wanted to say, only in letters. And at that point, I finally ended up one day shouting at her over the phone saying, I didn't do it. It's not my fault. And it was over a particular incident. But it also was that larger picture that whatever had happened for my brother, my twin, was not my fault. I hadn't done it. And she backed down a slight bit, but it was enough. At that point, I understood that my mother was not really capable of giving me what I had wanted. I had wanted her blessings. I had wanted her to champion me. I had wanted her to approve of me. And once I came to that point where I realized what I was looking for from her, I couldn't get, and I accepted that. And then I was able to find the freedom to sort of live life on my own terms at that point. And I found that under that rage that I had vented for my mother, I really still loved her and that the love was still there. So in the end, it felt joyous to me to discover underneath all my rage that that still existed. Well, I guess that happens to so many of us now. We hold on to an experience or an interpretation in a relationship, and yet somehow, some way, we can still feel that diamond in us, that perfect part that has the capacity to love beyond measure. You've raised three children. You've earned an MBA, traveled internationally as a corporate executive, and only after retirement did you actually begin attending writing workshops where you workshopped this book for 10 years. So what's your next project, Marilyn? Well, I'm writing another book, and I'm about halfway through, but I'm not ready to actually reveal what the book is about at this time. But I hope to finish it within the next several years. So that is my current project. Oh, beautiful. And is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with that maybe might help somebody who has gone through something similar or who might be going through it now? Yes. What I would say is to people who have mental illness in their families that it is very difficult to find a way to relate, but that so many of us share that same experience. And for people who have difficult relationships with their mothers, which also is many of us, that it is difficult to find a way to renew that relationship. But most of all, what I'd like to leave with people is that 
can take a lifetime to untangle and make sense of your life. It's a journey, and on that journey, we can seek to have greater understanding of the people around us. We can come to acceptance of things that we really can't control, and we can increase our capacity for forgiveness. And if we can do that in our journey, we can come move towards the freedom we all need in order to fulfill our individual potential as human beings. Absolutely right. Marilyn Peterson-Haas, leave us with a website that we can get in touch with you if any of our listeners would like to gain information. Yes, Marilyn Peterson House, all in one word, dot com is my website. Easy enough. Marilyn, thank you so much for sharing your gift to the world and lots of good wishes. Thank you so much, Sister Jenna, for having me. All the best. Bye-bye. Relationship, they're like a stairway. They can take you up. <laughs> they can also be a catalyst for just bringing you so down, you just don't even know what to do. But Marilyn's story is no less. We've always found ourselves always traveling through some sort of a rough terrain in a relationship, and I've often seen this over and over again. Even in my own life, it's a thought that I'm holding about that person, the way I will be feeling. Whether they were right or wrong, that's not the point. The point is, how do I choose to hold the way I'm going to interpret the value of this relationship for the rest of my life, or lack thereof? It's just a thought away. It's just such a incredible, incredible reality. If we can investigate it deeper, we could feel so blessed. Thank you so much for joining us on America Meditating Radio. And remember, you are blessed and no one in the world can take away your happiness. You have to give them permission. (laughs) And I think we're here to learn how to love each other the same. Hope you've seen our new inauguration of our home. If you go to the website on Meditation Museum, you'll get a chance to view it. It was beautiful sharings by Dr. Michael Beckwith, Caroline May, Sister Shivani, Sister Mohini, Bishop Carlton Pearson, Jean Houston, the list goes on and on. If you want to be inspired and riveted by some real beautiful wisdom, tune into that. Don't forget, you are blessed. Here's Karen Drucker. Be well and thanks for joining us today. Take care. I am so grateful, I am so
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or in iTunes 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.